I want to spend a few minutes today looking at something, as I mentioned to the children as they were up here, something we don't like to talk about, about sin. I mean, nobody wants to sign up for that message. Nobody wants to listen to it. I'll be honest, I don't really like to preach about it very often. But we cannot and should not neglect this topic. In fact, I think if anything, it's actually one of the more essential things for us to preach on that I think is often missed and failed to be emphasized in many churches and in many congregations and by many pastors today. I was struck a number of years ago as I was preparing for a sermon I think it was in Indianapolis. And I thought, you know, I bet a lot of people today, when we talk about being saved, don't know what they're being saved from. Because we don't talk about sin very often. We don't talk about doing things that are wrong, about what's doing what is right. And that's a cultural thing, which we'll hit on here in just a few minutes, but it's certainly a problem that I think our society has today. So if you're Bear with me. I'm going to talk about sin a little bit today. Also, as I told the children this morning, sin, the Greek definition of that means to miss the mark. I'll confess I'd heard that most of my life, and I never really cared much for that definition. I don't know who I am to argue with it. But somehow in my mind, it kind of lessened the impact of what it should be. Because to me, when I think about missing the mark, and that's why I chose the arrow this morning as the object lesson with the kids, is like just, you know, maybe I'm like a half inch off the bullseye. And it just didn't seem that bad, right? That's still pretty good. I'm close. When we talk about this Greek word, it means to missing the mark. Even though I don't, didn't used to really like the definition, I began to, to ponder that. Now, let me put it this way. Yes, you can miss by half an inch. You can miss the mark. You can have just uh, maybe even say a little bit of sin. The problem comes is that what if I was to tell you that you, every single day, from the time you are a young child, the time you know right from wrong, you are being asked to use different tools and in different circumstances, to always hit the bullseye. Now, maybe some of you have done archery or shooting, or maybe some of you have tried to be very careful about painting something or writing something out, and someone comes along and distracts you from your goal and your purpose, and you mess up. You don't hit where you want to. You don't do what you want to do. Or someone comes by and bumps into you, and you mess up a little bit. And when we think about sin as missing the mark, we must always remember this is not just a one-time opportunity. It's not like I get to close out everything in my life and take very careful aim and make sure I'm hitting the right mark. No, I am called every single day of my life from the time I'm a little kid to the time that I die in every circumstance that I am in to always hit the mark and be on target to never waver, never half an inch to the left, never half an inch up. And when we begin to think about sin that way, we begin to realize what we ought to realize is that it's actually hopeless. 
There is never going to be a day that I wake up and every time I'm supposed to do something this way or not do something that way, that I always do it perfectly. I'm always going to mess that up. And so in that way, we begin to understand that when we talk about sin as missing the mark, it's a very serious, very difficult thing to do. And because it's so hard, because it's actually impossible, our society, and I will say even sometimes ourselves as believers, we begin to discount the importance of always aiming for the right thing. And we begin to have thoughts that help relieve us from this burden. So let me talk about a few ways that we do this. When we're told that we have a mark, an aim, something we should strive for, and to not do that is sin, sometimes people come back with an an unbelief. Well, I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that the Bible says fill in the blank. You may even hear many people say today, well, that's not my truth. Somehow that matters. And so we can respond to this knowing that God holds us to an account of a certain standard. And we can just say, well, I don't believe that. Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. You can choose to not believe all you want to, that there is a standard. But that doesn't change the fact that there is what? A standard that God has given us for our behavior and even for our thoughts. Your unbelief doesn't change anything. Now, as I said, we can challenge society. We can argue with them. We can debate them. But we really must remember that we understand this as well. Whether I believe in the Bible doesn't change whether it's true. Whether I believe that this thing is right or wrong doesn't change the very fact of whether it is or it is not. I can fool myself, I can convince myself, but it doesn't change the fact. Something else that a lot of people in society will do when they realize that there is a standard by which they must live their lives is they may know that standard, but they may choose to ignore it. Now, the Bible tells us that God has placed a conscience inside of us and that even if we've never read the scriptures, there is some level of truth and basic right or wrong that is deep-seated. We are hardwired to understand this as people. And we know to some degree what is right and what is wrong And we are held accountable to that. So we cannot just ignore what our innermost self tells us is right or wrong any more than we can just say, well, we don't believe it. Now, for those of us who've heard the scriptures, who have heard the truth, and I believe and will always believe that the Bible is the truth, end of sentence. When you have heard that and you choose to ignore it, Now you're in some real trouble. You were in trouble before, but now you're in real trouble. Now this may sound like amazing, but we all do it, don't we? And in fact, don't worry. People have been doing this for thousands of years. If you recall, 
In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching to the Jewish people, to the priests, to the rabbis, to the Levites. And he is telling them, look, the Jesus Christ who you have been waiting for came and you killed him. Oh, and he came back to life. He is the Son of God. He is, in fact, the Messiah. Everything Stephen said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was and is still true today. And those who were listening had the education, the knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, that they could have themselves seen what is true and believed it. But instead, the Scripture tells us they acted like a bunch of children. They stopped up their ears, chased him out of town, and killed him. That's ignoring the Word of God. When you know what you are hearing is true, but you want to stick your fingers in your ears and pretend like you can't hear it. Little kids do this too. Little kids do it when we play hide and seek, right? It's like, you can't see me. This is ignoring the very fact of what God says we are to do and are not to do. And when we do that, it's sin, whether we like to call it something else or not. We can also make excuses. How many times has someone told me, or I'm sorry, how many times has someone told you, you can't judge me? <laughs> Sometimes they'll even quote a Bible verse to try and support them. The problem is they've never read the rest of that chapter, because the rest of that chapter talks about judging people. That's a whole other sermon. I've already preached that one. Maybe we'll do it again sometime. But the point is, we can make excuses and say, well, you can't judge me. Or we can make an excuse and we can point out someone's sin who we think is worse than what we're doing. Well, at least I'm not X. At least I don't do Y. This is also a very dangerous, slippery slope when we start to make excuses. Now, again, don't worry. This has been also going on since when? Since the very beginning that sin entered the world, you can flip back to Genesis chapter 3. We see that Eve is tempted. She eats the fruit. She gives it to her husband, Adam. Adam eats the fruit. Now, Adam was responsible over Eve. And so sin entered the world, and they had their eyes open when Adam, who was in charge, ate the fruit. God comes walking in the cool of the night, and again, faced with their sin and the reality of what they've done, their disobedience, what does he do? He makes an excuse. It was that woman that you gave me. And, and it's not even like, I mean, it's an excuse, but it's an accusation. You gave me this woman, and she's at fault. Did it work? No. Who's at fault? Adam's at fault. End of story. We can make excuses all day long for the things that we do that are wrong. But the reality is you are still responsible for the thoughts and the deeds that you do. Now, one other thing, and I could go on for a long time, but I, I don't want to belabor the point. One other thing that comes when we miss the mark when we miss the target, going full circle back to the beginning of the definition, our society is having a wonderful time moving the bullseye. Right? Well, I didn't hit this target, but that's okay. I'll just, I'll just slide it over here, pretend like I'm right in the middle. 
And we can look at our society and see where we do this all the time. And if we're honest, sometimes we do it to ourselves. We have many teachers in our church. And I understand that some of you are not allowed to enter failing grades. Because then we'd have too many people fail, you see. That's moving the mark. Right? We do this in our culture all the time. Now, I teach college. I don't get that issue as much in college. But boy, you know what I hear all the time? I tried really hard. Listen, life, it's great that you tried hard. That isn't meeting the mark. The goal of whatever you're doing, whether it's taking this test or writing a paper in my class, is to master the material and be able to explain it, write it, answer it to the satisfactory of what is the truth and fact of the topic. It doesn't matter that you spend hours trying really hard. That's like moving the bullseye. It's missing completely and going, well, I'm going to say that it counts for how hard I tried. I don't think I'm disparaging. It's important to try hard. And to do your best. But that isn't the goal of an education. You with me so far? Okay. So let me back up one more time and then we'll get back into the scripture. We have a problem in the United States today because we have a society and a culture that was at one time founded upon shared biblical principles of what the target was. In other words, we raised generation after generation of people... Now, not all of them fully believed, and not all of them always agreed, but by and large knew that there were certain things that we were supposed to do in our society and certain things that we were not supposed to do in our society. And if you peel back what those were, you see a foundation in Christian principles. I stand here today and tell you I don't think that's really occurring any longer. It is not enough to walk up to a young child and say something about an Old Testament story or a New Testament story and expect them to know what you're talking about because they never experienced it when they were younger. And so what has happened is we are careening as a society back to more and more unbelief, to ignoring, to excusing, and to moving the bullseye to fit whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And we don't have a collective goal to move toward a certain direction. And that is causing a problem. It is fracturing the very nature of who we are. Let me give you an example I heard someone say recently. This is not my own. See, when we, as a culture and a society, and break it down even further, as a church or a family, we have certain rules that we agree upon to live within. If I say to you, let's go out into the parking lot, I have a chess board, and we're going we're gonna to sit out there and play chess. We're going to play a game. And you come out with a basketball, and your version of the game is playing basketball while I'm trying to play chess. They're both games, but they don't work together. This is where we're at in our society. We're all playing the game. We're not all shooting toward the same area. And it creates confusion and problems. When we miss the mark, when we sin, and we don't collectively shoot toward the same area, we have a problem. And we should and must return to 1 
principles. We must have, as a culture, if we are to be one as a family, one as a church, and one as a society, we must have a shared aim and goal and support those who are hitting in the target and encourage those who are outside of it to get closer to where they should be. Now, we have a standard. Anybody know what the standard is? We have a standard that we have been given through the scriptures, and it's a really high bar. Be ye holy as I am holy. Almost a dozen times the scripture tells us that. So when we have questions about the target, the goal, what is sin and what isn't sin, the question isn't, am I trying hard enough? The question isn't, am I going to ignore part of this? The question is, who and what is God and am I like him? That's the goal. That's the target. That's what we individually and collectively should try and be like because that is what God demands of us. That is the target. We can deny it. We can ignore it. We can have excuses for it. We can change it to something else. But the reality is we don't set the standard. Let's say that again. We don't set the standard. God does that. God did that. God is that. To use all three verb tenses. Was, is, and will be. The standard has been set and laid to be like him. The problem is, we're not like him. To make this even worse, the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. Death not only here, but death and punishment everlasting. So God is here we're to aim for that, and when we miss, which we do, as I pointed out, on a daily basis, no matter what kind of excuses, no matter how much we move the goalpost, when we miss to be like God, we are actively sinning. And the only possible solution for sin is death and punishment. Now, that sounds really negative, doesn't it? I think sometimes this is why... Many preachers don't want to preach about this because it's not always something you go home, you know, feeling great about. But if I had a sermon every Sunday you went home feeling great about, I wouldn't do my job. I think many people have fallen away from their faith or what little faith they had or what experience they had with the Christian faith for a variety of reasons, many of which are excuses and moving the mark and ignoring the truth. But I think sometimes people, or at least what I've heard people say, is it's always negative. Thou shall not, thou shall not. But that's not what that verse says. You ever notice that? It doesn't say thou shall not. It says you should be like me. See, that's an active, that's, that's the opposite of saying you shouldn't do. It's saying you should be like me. And I want to point out something else. Isaiah 59 and 2. It says this, Isaiah 59 2, but your inequities, now this is talking about us, your inequities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Whose fault is it? It's my fault. What has come between me and God? My sin, not him. 
We are always the ones who violate in the relationship. We're always the one who walks away. This is why I will often say, actually, I will never say one thing. (laughs) And to some degree, it's slight semantics, but I think it has some importance. This is why I never say that I or we or tell you to accept Jesus Christ. Because he's the offended party. And he accepts me. I know what many of us mean when we say that. But have you ever thought about it that way? You see, he's the offended party. He is the one who can't deal with us because of my sin. And so it's not whether I'm like, hey, yeah, I accept you. It is, in fact, whether or not he will accept me back into a relationship that I broke. It's a very important distinguishing Now, as I said, this is a positive command to be holy, not don't be bad. But in some ways, a positive command can be more difficult than a negative one, can it? It'd be nice if really there was just 10 things we weren't allowed to do, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. We can say all we want to. Oh, it's all about don't do this and don't do that. But if there was just like 10, man, I might be able to get those 10 things down. And in fact, if you look in the scriptures, that's what the Hebrews were trying to do too. They had slightly more than 10 about 614, if you go back through Leviticus and Numbers and add up all the laws and rules and regulations. And you know what? They couldn't do it either. They could not overcome that. So God gave us a positive command. Be holy like he is. Live in a relationship with him. But the problem is we sin, and we sin really bad. We miss the mark. We ignore. We make excuses. We just flat out don't believe it. But it gets worse. As I said, imagine trying to hit a target every day using different tools and different conditions. Sometimes people are screaming and yelling and distracted you. Sometimes you're sad. Sometimes you're hungry. But you always have to be on the mark every day, every situation. But let's make it even worse. You ready? You were born into sin and a slave to it from the very beginning. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. This is why, and I'll keep repeating it, because I don't feel like it was emphasized enough when I was younger. This is why having a virgin birth at the time when Christ came is so essential. Because the sin, guilt that we have is passed down from man to man, to man, through childbirth. And so the fact that God came and was not, did not have an earthly father, but was born of a virgin, means that he wasn't under that blood sin curse that all the rest of us have. Now, he still had an opportunity to sin because he lived as a man, but he was not born a slave to sin as you and I are. John 8 and 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Ooh. Is that you? Are you practicing sin? Are you a slave to sin? Because the problem is we are born into bondage. 
We are born into sin. As I pointed out before, well, it's like the first word or maybe second at the most third that every little child learns to say, no. And they learn to lie really early because that's part of who we are. So we're born that way. And then no matter what we continue in our choices to sin. James 4.17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Now this one's really dangerous. Because many of us know the right thing and we choose not to do it. Sometimes we want to equate sin with doing something really icky and bad. Well, I didn't steal anything. But if you know, if God tells you that you are supposed to give money to someone for some reason and you don't do it, it's a sin. If God tells you that you are supposed to get on your knees and pray to him over a situation and you don't do it, it is what? A sin. You have missed the mark. You see, this is the mess that we are in. And don't forget the punishment of all this is what? Is death. So we are born in sin, always missing the mark. We continue in sin throughout our entire lives, not doing the right thing when we know what we should do. And this, as we pointed out, separates us from God. And far be it from God being a vengeful, wrathful God who's a thousand miles away, who wants to throw down lightning bolts and destroy us for being wrong. What he wants is a relationship with us, but he cannot do it while we continue to miss the mark. And if I was to sit down here, we of all people, to quote Paul, would be sad. So I'm going to do what the Bible says. Therefore, or even the word but, or my other favorite one, nevertheless, all of this in mind, how do we overcome Jesus Christ? Born fully God and fully man, came into the world to restore us to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so that my sin, my penalty for having missed the mark, being born that way and continuing throughout my entire life to miss the mark, to ignore, to put off, to blame, to pretend like it isn't true, to purposely sin, all of that can be forgiven by Jesus Christ's sacrifice for me and thus restore me to the right full relationship that God wants to have with me. It's not in my own strength to do it. I cannot be good enough to earn this. It is only about him. It is only about Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for me that can unite me back with the God who literally sent his son to die so that I could come back to him. That's a beautiful story. That's the gospel, which means the good news. That despite everything that I've done, that I can be restored to the one who loves me, to the perfect one, that I can strive my entire life to be holy as he is holy. And someday, when I physically leave this earth, I don't have to strive anymore because I can be with him in heaven, in perfection. No amount of unbelief, 
no amount of ignoring this, no amount of excuses, and no amount of moving the target from one side to the other is going to fix any of this. It has to be Jesus Christ. Oh, what does all that mean? It means we have to know who Christ is and his atoning sacrifice for us. 1 John 2, 2 says, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the entire world. I could spend the rest of the year talking about this. In summary, here's the point. Christ, because he is perfect, because he was fully God and fully man, was able to take the penalty for sin that should have been mine on himself and pay for it so that I am no longer guilty. Now, how does that happen? Well, Christ had to die. And I contend, and I think is scriptural, that we, at some point, have to be convicted for missing the mark. Now, I preached a whole sermon on this back when we were all at home. 800 miles away, Lord, use that sermon to help somebody. But listen, conviction is important. Conviction is not just feeling bad about what we've done. It's not about feeling bad about getting caught. It is the wholehearted understanding that when we go before God, we are absolutely nothing because we are born into sin and we continue to sin. And God is exactly the opposite. It moves past just this head knowledge of, geez, I know I'm wrong. To something where you can't hardly bear it anymore. It's when the Holy Spirit moves in your life and tells you, you are wrong. You are a sinner. You are missing the mark so badly, you're not even playing the same game. It's like my basketball and chess example. We somehow think that we're like playing chess. And really, it's a basketball game or vice versa. And those two things don't work together. We want to think, well, I'm, I'm okay. I come to church. My parents are such and such. I got baptized once. I went to a church camp and signed a card. I'm a pretty good person. And the reality is that's completely opposite of the truth. We are missing the mark and in sin. And unless you have been convicted of your sin by the Holy Spirit to the point that you come before God, knowing you have absolutely nothing to give him and seeking his approval, then you've never gone past the next point. One way to define conviction is to experience the utter dreadfulness of sin. Genesis 39 and 9 says, How could I do this great evil sin against God? Isaiah 6 and 5 says, Woe to me, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's that point when you realize, I'm not okay. And I will never get to that point that I am okay until I put my faith in him and repent. So believing in faith that Christ came to pay your penalty is absolutely required. Romans 3.28 says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You can't get there being good. 
You have to believe. And that belief, just like conviction, is deeper than a, yeah, I believe what you're saying. Yeah, I believe the Bible's true. It's a belief that compels you to do something about it. You must have conviction of the Holy Spirit, and you must have faith and belief in who God is and what He did. And then you must repent. You have to change. You have to ask for forgiveness. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through God. This not of your own, it is the gift of God. This is where sometimes I think preachers get a little backwards and talk about this gift. Well, don't you want to receive this gift? Well, if I physically had a gift to give you and I wanted to hand it to you, most people, even if they didn't understand it, would go, okay, thank you. But if I walk up to you and I say, look, I've got this gift right here. You can't see it, can't smell it, can't touch it, can't taste it, but I believe in it and I want you to have it. A lot of people will be like, oh, okay, and they, they take it and you know, pretend like they're going to go along with you. That's not faith and that's not repenting. And the scriptures clearly indicate that you must have both to receive the forgiveness. So when you are convicted of your sins, when you realize how horrible and wretched is what the Bible says you are, when you realize that your sins are like a used hygiene product, and that's what the Bible calls it too, when you realize that's you compared to God and you are convicted of that and in faith you go and beg for forgiveness, that is the point that God can and will save you applying the blood of His shed Son to you, making you whole and restoring the relationship. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourself. Now, I had a hard time figuring out how to end this, so let me just end it this way. Turn with me, if you'd like, to Romans chapter 5. Some of this is a little technical, because that's the way Paul was writing, and it's good for deep study. But I want to read a block of text. Romans chapter 5, I'm going to begin with verse 12 and get almost to the end of the chapter. And I want you to listen to this, keeping in mind everything that I've said so far. And I want you to ask yourself, do you know God? Have you been convicted? Have you responded in faith? And have you been saved from yourself? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who were sinning, whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. Stay with me. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the free gift is not the, like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And the conclusion here, I hope to you is plain that you see that we are not only born into sin, that we continue into sin. The law, the scriptures, even if we want to ignore them, even if we want to pick and choose, even if we want to move the target, the law is clear and we have broken it. You have broken it and have broken it every single day. And because of that, we are condemned to die and to be eternally, now and forever, separated from God who is holy. That is set apart, righteous, good. And the only way that we can overcome that is by the sending of one man, the Son of God, who took on human flesh, who was born of a virgin, who lived for uh, a time on this earth who, although was tempted by sin, never chose to sin and never did sin, was sacrificed, was murdered, if you will, wrongfully convicted, shed his blood for us, conquered death, rising on the third day, and is seated at the right hand of God, having been the sacrifice to justify me, to justify you. And so the good news of the gospel is you do not have to stay in that separated place. You do not have to worry about always trying to do the best and hitting as close as you can to the mark because you can't. But Jesus Christ made a way out, a way that we can be restored to God. And until that point in your life, when you know that this is true, when you understand the message of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit convicts you for the sin that you've been involved with, and you truly believe and put your faith in him and repent to him, you've gone absolutely nowhere. You're still not even close. If you want, if you need, if you desire to know God, then you must come to him as he demands. You must repent of your sins. You must come to him in faith. There is no other way. There is no other shifting of the target. There is nothing that I can say to make this happen for you. It's all between you and God. And so sometimes you've heard me and others say, we pray that God would convict you. Pray for that a lot. Some of you really need to be convicted. Hold on. Not because you're worse than anybody else. But because you've never repented and believed unto faith. And so my prayer, and I know I'm joined by many who are here who know the free pardon of sin. Our prayer for you is that you're uncomfortable, 
that God would remind you of where you stand before him and that he would draw you unto him and that before it's too late, and the current state of the world would tell us, you never know when it's going to be too late, that you would put your faith in him, that you would repent, and that you would receive salvation, that you would be justified of something that you can't justify yourself. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop delaying. Stop putting it off. Today is the day of salvation. If God is dealing with you, then you must respond to him, not to me, to him.